Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Shop Podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Dar, and I'm here in the Sydney studio with Charles Firth. Hello. Uh, we have joining us from Melbourne, Dave Milner. G'day, Joe. And our very special guest, very exciting for us uh, this afternoon, is Mr. Peripatetic himself, uh, <laughs> the man behind the campaign for Yes23, Thomas Mayo. Kapugoiga. That means good day in my language. Kalalagoya. Oh, you're the one that has been attracting all of the uh, the racist kind of horror. You're the one who was in the, the nasty AFR um, cartoon, but you've transcended that and you've become the popular face. I have been at railway stations where Thomas Mayer has turned up and he has become the kind of the celebrity campaigner, would you say, Thomas? Oh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I'm just working really hard and I think um, uh, I've found that most Australians uh, are curious or, you know, as we experience at the train station, mm. many are saying I'm voting yes. So yeah, they do. It's a different feeling uh, out in public where Wearing the yes shirt um, to what we see on social media and uh, and the polls, and I think that there is a great deal of curiosity um, about what the camp what the referendum can mean for us as a country. And Dave, you explored some of this in the piece that you wrote for the shot about the opportunity that affords it affords us um, some of the confusion it can throw up and the dissonance that we've been through through our history. Yeah, I did. I guess what I was writing about in that piece, I think in hindsight, was about the way I was formally educated as a white person in a settler colony and not really getting a very accurate picture. And then it got me thinking about how history had been taught prior generations. I look back at the sort of stuff Australians were told about themselves in in John Howard's era, and then even earlier, the history that he was looking at. And I couldn't help but thinking there's a whole lot of a whole lot of bullshit to work past for you, Thomas. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of uh, of a, a long history of Australians being taught to ignore um, our Indigenous culture and heritage. You know, so that is that is quite a, a barrier to get over. But I, I think there's been a lot of hard work done by mm. by many people. The truth telling that's going on all, uh, for a long time, reconciliation work. Uh, you know, uh, royal commissions are full of truth telling, evidence truth telling. Uh, all that hard work, I think, has brought us to this moment where we have uh, an achievable, um, you know, opportunity here. Absolutely. And I mean, what that opportunity means and what the shape of it is, I think, is, you know, in a lot of Australians' minds, it is a bit nebulous. They don't really see what that's going to look like. Can you can you sum it up for us? Yeah, real simple. We're just saying yeah. yes or no to recognising Indigenous people in our constitution, a constitution that has explicitly excluded Indigenous people for a very long time, and to do it in a practical way, an Australian way, which gives the people a hand up, basically, uh, that says, you know, we've been making decisions about you, Indigenous guys, for a long time, and uh, now we're going to set up uh, an expectation that we should listen to you first. It's that simple. Hmm. I mean, that sounds pretty simple. Isn't Australia entirely based on the opposite of that idea? Like, like isn't the whole sort of... Fa- like? 
part of the, like, and I'm not, I'm sort of slightly being joking, but I'm not being joking, which is, isn't the actual problem that is being faced by the Yes campaign that actually, if you look at, you know, what Dave was writing about in his article, the, the actual sort of constitutional basis, like the broad sort of fundamental idea that Australia was founded on in, you know, in 1788 when it was colonised was let's just definitely never listen to Indigenous people. I think that's why it's been such a hard thing to communicate. This is my perspective on it, which is Anthony Albanese was sort of going, look, it's not a radical proposal. It's not it's not a huge thing. And I think what he meant by that is it's not going to lead to, you know, a complete annihilation of white people in Australia or something like that. It's not, it's not going to lead to sort of wholesale upheaval in the economic lives of people. But, but it is a profound change to the sort of philosophical underpinnings of what Australia is to say, actually, you know, and it's such a reasonable, it's a transitional demand to say, you know what, you know, actually maybe we should listen to Indigenous people when they're affected by decisions that are made about them. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a, a big shift away from ignoring that Indigenous people mm. were ever here. Uh, you're right. But on a, on a legal basis, on, on a basis of uh, how our democracy works, it isn't radical. Mm. You know, the, the, the parliament remains uh, supreme in that it decides all laws, uh, how funding is, is allocated in the country, what programs and policies are implemented. Um, and so it's simply Indigenous people having a say. You see, one of the things that we're up against is um, Australia is still in that place where it thinks that, um, you know, that that, and it has worked for mm. most Australians the way that it is now. Um, and if we were to call for special rights, you can see the way the No campaign is trying to scare people with that. Mm. Um, it would be an impossible thing to achieve. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, it is a modest proposal mm. that given all of the injustices, all of the marginalisation of Indigenous people, these, the massive gaps in education and health and employment, uh, life expectancy of around eight years less, that we're not calling for a special right here. We're asking for an enhancement to our democracy that, so that um, Indigenous people can just have a say. Mm. And, you know, I mean, uh, sure, there's uh, uh, people that think that, uh, you know, we should have a whole lot more. But, you know, this is a, an important step that we should just have the opportunity to come together, work it out amongst ourselves who speaks for us, not someone that a, a, polit a political party chooses because mm. Indigenous politicians don't represent Indigenous uh, communities and their interests because they're accountable to their electorate and their political party, not their, the Indigenous communities uh, that they might try to speak for. Uh, this is simply a, a voice um, that can coherently speak to the solutions uh, for those problems that I mentioned uh, in a transparent way that all Australians see and Indigenous people ourselves can see our representatives saying, and we can hold them to account, mm. you know, a process of electing representatives ourselves. Mm. The reason it's not radical is, is actually also it's, um, it's consistent with the way our democracy works. Uh, but I, I do believe that it is, uh, it is going to achieve great strides in progress, though. And that's what I think uh, a lot of Australians are interested in. Is this going to be practical? Mm. Is this going to close the gap? Mm. Is this going to improve lives? Um, and is it going to do in a way that doesn't uh, radically transform our democracy where we're going to lose something? Mm. And the answer mm. is, uh, you know, it will, it will bring about great change, um, but nobody's got anything to lose and uh, we've got everything to gain by it. It's, it's interesting what you're saying because when I looked at the structure of it, I bought your little purple book, by the way, <laughs> it, it, just, it really did seem like an extraordinarily reasonable, level-headed proposal without any scary overreach, which made me think about 
the negative reaction to it and the no campaign. And I'm wondering, do you think, how, how disingenuous are the people driving the no campaign? Completely disingenuous. Uh, they understand what they're doing. They are seeking to confuse and to scare Australians. And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, especially elder Australians uh, might be familiar with these things when I uh, mention them. Um, but in the 60s, when Indigenous people were going to get equal wages, they said that uh, cattle stations, you know, businesses would shut down. Mm. They wouldn't be able to afford to run without their Indigenous labour just being paid a bit of flour and tobacco. Without slave labour, essentially. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, they were working 16-hour days and just getting enough sustenance to work every day. Yes, that's right. It was, it was slave labour. Um, and when land rights uh, were being established after the Gurindji Wayfield walk-off and, uh, you know, and their great success, and it was a, a Liberal Prime Minister that saw land rights in the Northern Territory through, um, but people were saying, you're going to lose your backyard, you're going to lose your farm, all those sorts of things. Then in the 80s, uh, late 80s, when Bob Hawke was establishing the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission, uh, a voice, um, Howard was saying that this would be a black parliament, uh, that, uh, you know, there would be, uh, you know, people were saying that there's going to be a right for Indigenous people to veto uh, the parliament. Um, And in the 90s with native title, you know, Mm -hmm. Mabo winning that high court case, native title legislation being negotiated. They said again, you're going to lose your backyards, you're going to lose your farms. And all of those things came to pass, equal wages, land rights, um, you know, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission. And none of those, uh, you know, none of those doomsayers were were correct. None of those things happened. Nobody lost anything. Mm. Um, But Indigenous people took some steps forward. You know, and we're still a long way from being equal with other Australians, and that is what this voice is going to do. It's going to be unifying, and it'll help us to have equality in uh, all those important outcomes for our children. And that was even the case with the National Apology, is that you had people, including Peter Dutton, saying that it would open up the possibility for compensation and reparations, so therefore we shouldn't do it. Um, And as you say, at every turn this overreach, uh, and I would go so far as to say this racist overreach, um, has proven to be incorrect uh, and a fallacy. Uh, And at every point, we have matured and strengthened and become more unified as a nation because we have taken these modest steps along the way towards reconciliation. Yeah, we we, we celebrate each of those steps, Mm. really. You know, I mean, they were great great advancements for Indigenous people and for our nation. I mean, imagine if we didn't do, do those things, you know. I'd be here, you know, just getting going home and collecting my flour and tobacco, and <laughs> you know, I mean, what a shit and, society would and be exhausted, <laughs> you know, like yeah. sixteen hours a day. Oh, I'm, I'm doing that, but <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, is that those people who supported that now are embarrassed at the advocacy that they made, and in Pete mm. and Dutton has had to apologise for the way that he handled the national apology, and yet he has sees. It, he can't see the symmetry in what he's doing mm. now. But, but doesn't that go to the disingenuity of yes. the whole thing? Yeah, because isn't that just the perpetual yeah. conservative state mm. of being terrified of fucking everything and then five years later being, oh, I got that wrong? No, but but I think I think it goes deeper than that, which is I think that they know that it's just a tool. Like I think most people, especially those running the no campaign. Oh, no, certainly. Know that racism is just a tool. It's so funny. I, I talked to this Anglican pastor guy who works at Moore College on the weekend. As total, you do. Total fuckwit. And, um, <laughs> but, and he was voting no. I, he was literally the, I went to my high school reunion, right, like 30-year reunion, literally the only person there who was going to vote no. And it was like, what? so why? Why, why are you going to vote no, mate? 
And it was like, well, I think other people are really worried about it. You know, they're really fearful of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, well, hang on. No, no, but what about you? Like, it, it, like even it, he even had the insight to know that, it, you know, he couldn't pull off, you know, yeah. an argument about himself because, of mm. course, he wasn't scared of anything because there's nothing to be scared of. So, yeah. so he just placed it in the other thing. And then so I said to him, so you're just entirely basing your decision on fear, like, so it's just an entirely fear thing. And he and he said, fear is a great way to control people. I think the problem with the world is that we don't have enough fear. Now, he's coming from an Anglican, oh. you know, Christian background, like he that conservative <laughs> frame. But it gives you such an insight into it's totally cynical. Like it's a cynical tool. Like let's like – I think Dutton's whole – I mean, do you feel betrayed by Dutton over this or did you just know that he was going to be a – Look, if I if I spent all my time worrying about what politicians say and, <laughs> yeah. you know, I would never get out there and help people to understand and that's that's what I'm focused on, you mm. know, just having conversations with Australians like you were. Uh, I hope you, you managed to get that guy to uh, think twice. Um you know, and, and when people just look at the words, I mean, that's the look at it in black and white. It's 92 words that'll be inserted in the Constitution if this gets up, you know, and it just simply recognises Indigenous people as the First Peoples by establishing a voice to make representations on matters that relate to us. That's what we're saying yes or no to. The Parliament decides the rest. Um, the third point in that uh, in that new section 129 says the Parliament decides all matters relating to the voice, including the composition, powers, functions and procedures. You know, so it's, it's just consistent with the way that we do things now. The only difference is it sets up an expectation from everybody that votes yes that politicians will listen to Indigenous people before they make decisions about them. Mm. And there's plenty of evidence that that is how you get better outcomes and you save money, uh, taxpayer money, but importantly also you save lives. Mm. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I mean, I think the interesting thing, because there is this sort of dissonance at the very heart of the no campaign anyway, because as they're going about, they're saying, well, we do want a voice, we just want to legislate it, um, which rather undermines all of their arguments about it's going to be bureaucratic or it's going to be, you know, kind of foster They're, they're also disunity. saying that it's tokenistic and it's also too powerful potentially. It's yeah, like Schrodinger's it, voice. It it's doesn't make any time. sense at all. But what I thought might be useful um, for our listeners is is – we want recognition of our First Nations, obviously, in the Constitution, because why would you not want to celebrate that? But the idea of actually entrenching the voice in the Constitution is important, not just because um, for time immemorial it does set up that expectation, as you say, Thomas, but previous voices have been abolished 
at the whim of governments. And we have had now across our history, across the last sort of 100 years, there have been many, many different efforts from governments, both Liberal and Labor, to set up voices that within 5, 10, 20 years have just simply been eradicated by um, their successor governments. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for listeners to understand. Uh, you're right. Um, in the 1920s, it was the Australian Aboriginal Progressive Association. Then came the Aboriginal Advancement League. Uh, there was for Cat. Uh, the NAC, the NACC um, and ATSIC that I mentioned earlier uh, and all of these representative bodies were established um, uh, by, under one government and destroyed by the next, Yeah, um, you know, silenced. Uh, and we know also uh, from a, a pattern throughout history that when we have these representative bodies, including ATSIC, um, we, great, we make great strides in, in, um, in progress. Uh, you know, we improve conditions, better housing. All of those things happen better and quicker when Indigenous people have uh, an ability to make representations to decision makers. Um, and we also know that when we don't, things get worse. Yep. And so mm. when we came together at Uluru, this is where the call for the voice comes from. Uh, from the Uluru Statement from the Heart. It was in late May 2017, a unique opportunity for Indigenous people. We had 13 three-day dialogues uh, covering the entire continent and adjacent islands, region by region, uh, you know, debated and discussed that history and, and what steps we should take next. Um, they elected delegates. They brought the priorities from those regions uh, to a culminating convention in the heart of the nation at Uluru. And they made the Uluru Statement from the heart. And I was there. And, and those lessons that we need a voice, but we know voices are taken away if they're only legislated, um, that we make better progress when we have a voice, um, that caused us to call for uh, a voice enshrined in the Constitution so that it's set up by the will of the Australian people, by the expectation of the Australian people, that all parliaments should listen to the advice that Indigenous people have uh, about their lives. Uh, this illustrates that this isn't an Albanese idea, as the mm. No campaign tends to say. It's mm. not a, you know, it's not a Labor Party campaign. This is not a Canberra voice. This is a voice that has come through a lot of hard work by Indigenous people to, to make this invitation to Australians, and uh, we really hope that they'll vote yes. And there's a lot at stake with that too. I think there is, and I think um, just to that point of of the representative nature um, of the group that met at Uluru and, in fact, that there really was an incredibly rigorous process of years in the making that went on to get to that point at Uluru where you had those vo different voices coming together and synthesising and all, in fact, speaking with one voice to say, this is what we want and this is what we need. So when people say, you know, we, why don't we have a constitutional convention if we're going to move to a referendum, those sorts of things, they're ignoring the depth of time effort, energy and the representative nature of that process that got us to all the room in the first place. Yeah, uh, that argument from the No campaign is disingenuous as well. You know, as there, there's been so much hard work, uh, multiple joint select committees, an expert mm. panel, Uluru process, since the Uluru process, another joint select committee that reported in 2018. Uh, and then the co-design process led by Professor Marcia Langton and Tom Calmer uh, under the Morrison government, you know, with the leadership of of Ken Wyatt, uh, who was a Minister for Indigenous Australians at the time. Over and over again, we, we keep coming to this uh, need to 
constitutionally recognise Indigenous people in a way that they have called for, which is simply to give us an advisory voice. Which seems really very simple and straightforward. It is. So I encourage the listeners to um, help your friends and family to understand Mm. this. We've got to get through that misinformation. I don't want you to wake up the next morning, you know, and, uh, and feel like you could have done more or blame the media. You know, it's up to us. Mm. You know, we can't count on anyone else but ourselves to help our families and friends to understand. And that's the amazing thing. One of the points that they make in the training is that every vote is essentially like a marginal seat vote in like an election because it actually is like every single, like it needs to be a majority of people in the majority of states. Yes. So it's not like, you know, if you're in a safe, seat, your vote doesn't really count. Every single vote in this country counts just as much as it would in if you're in a marginal seat. So, you know, like if you're in a place where lots of people are going to vote yes, actually you need to be in a place where every single person votes yes, because there will be pockets of places where lots of people are voting no. And those votes will be actually able to countervail you know, mm-hmm. p- p- completely distant places which you wouldn't normally think of if you're voting, you know, in, a, in yeah, an election. Yeah, that national vote. Yeah. We, we need four out of six states to yes. get up as well. So um, uh, the territories, sadly, uh, their vote does count a little bit less um, because oh, they're not a yeah. state. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the Northern Ooh. Territory, my vote is only worth half as much sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Darwin. Yeah. yeah. I, see, I wish I hadn't changed my voting registration from South Australia, but um, South Australia is looking pretty good. I mean, I think the focus is New South Wales, uh, Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, and then Queensland and Western Australia. We just need to make sure that there's enough people who vote yes there to contribute to the national, if we say mm. that they're lost, and we shouldn't say that they're lost because yeah. there's lots of great Queenslanders and Western Australians uh, out I, there. Uh, yeah. You know, look, people are saying, or the no campaign saying they've got Queensland in the bag, right? Um, and I don't agree with them. I, I did a tour from, you know, doing multiple town halls and events from Maroochydore and Caloundra, you know, uh, and pretty uh, a whole lot of towns into Eidsvold inland a bit and up to Mackay, uh, including Bundy and uh, Bundaberg and uh, Gladstone. Um, and, you know, it was uh, each event was packed out. Uh, there was uh, a lot of people that were undecided, but they walked out of there when they had that simple explanation that I've already given, you know, um, and saying that they'll vote yes. And we signed up supporters walking around the streets with my yes shirt. You know, I wasn't heckled or anything like that. You know, Mm. people occasionally stopped and asked a question or, you know, said they were voting yes too. Um, You know, and I think it sort of helps us in Queensland that the no campaign is saying that they're going to lose because, you know, I like my rugby league and um, (laughs) I I back Queensland and uh, we love being the underdogs. So (laughs) uh, I reckon Queensland can get up, you know. Know that you could say that Queensland is the underdog in rugby league, could you? <laughs> well, they always say we are, but we always win. <laughs> hey, this is a, this is a Melbourne podcast. We don't talk about rugby. <laughs> uh, Thomas, related questions: What is the most helpful thing people can, Australians can do to help this get up, and what is the biggest barrier? To this getting up. So uh, three things that I'd love uh, every listener to do is to go to the yes23.com.au website uh, to, uh, if you can, donate. Uh, we need uh, resources to run this big national campaign and reach every Australian. Um, we also need volunteers, so uh, please volunteer. Uh, help uh, Joe and I on the train stations oh, yes. and, <laughs> you know, getting around. Um, 
uh, and uh, and you know just uh, putting a bit of information into your fellow Australians' hands. We'll be doing a lot of door knocking. There was a, a, a lot of door knocking over the weekend, mm. um, and there will be a lot more. Uh, so please volunteer. Um, and lastly, help us with visibility. So you know, uh, go to the S23 site again. You can get a shirt, a hoodie that I'm wearing. Uh, you can get uh, placards and badges. Um, all of those things we want to see of yes by the time we reach the final couple of weeks uh, to the referendum. And uh, and I would love for you to help us with that. And I think one of the things that w- the lessons that were learned from the last federal election campaign on a seat by seat basis, where the community independence was successful, was that thing about visibility and giving permission for people to try something different. So Mm. people who had been, you know, rusted on Liberal, suddenly, you know, their neighbour had uh, a placard up. Um, They saw people walking down the street wearing T-shirts. Their sense of community and possibility was formed by that visibility. And I think that's really important. I've pretty much decided I'm only wearing Yes merchandise. I've noticed that, Joe. (laughs) Between now. And I have a whole range of different, Mm. I've got my volunteer T-shirt, I've got this one, I've got Mm. one nice new black one coming, but I've also got the support Uluru from history, so you can go back into the archives and find Mm. things. So I think it is about that just being very present. Um, Mm. And as we've discussed, not thinking that if you're in a safe left progressive area, Mm. that that means you can relax. Um, We need to offset some of those other areas, but also, you know, we're all contributing to that big national vote as well. I think there's a big thing in what you're saying about the visibility making it acceptable, and that sort of runs up against what Australians have been taught for so long. Seeing your neighbour thinks that this is a perfectly acceptable, reasonable thing, it just makes it easier for you to get on board that train if you're leaning that way anyway. So, yeah, definitely an important part of this. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of the strategies is with the the negative polls and things like that is to try and take the wind out of our sails. Um, But as I said, it's a very different feeling. Uh, I I wear, you know, same as Joe, I wear this shirt all the time. Nobody's heckled me. Nobody's, you know, you get a lot of smiles. You Mm. get a lot of interest. It starts a conversation. And from uh, wearing my shirt and, and that every day, and being uh, the celebrity campaigner, obviously. (laughs) 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 I I do believe that uh, most Australians are, you know, uh, are ready for this and are fair-minded. They just need that confidence and they need someone that they love, uh, someone that they trust, you know, to um, give them a call. And I encourage people to do this as well and just say, hey, I'm voting yes. Um, You know, I've looked into it. It's safe and it's meaningful. I'd like for you to vote yes too. And uh, you'll be surprised how many people will just walk with you when you say that. Walk with us along that journey um, we have left now, um, the camp, base camp. So we're on the way. I think we're going to end up in a good spot come October 15. But uh, as Thomas says, and we all know, we can't take anything for granted. So we know you're a very busy man, Thomas. So thank you for stopping by here at the shot. Charles is trying to twist Thomas's arm to write something. He mm. said as a warfie, he's well-versed in the word fuck and can probably include that uh, at least once or twice <laughs> yeah. throughout a track. a bit rusty, you know. <laughs> being, uh, he's been very civilised. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we've been thrilled to have you here today. Um, so get out there, everyone. Yes23.com.au There's, or just .com, no, .au, everything. We're just universal here. Um, and buy, donate, give your time and your money uh, to help get the result that we know that Australia needs. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate it. And yeah. just for the record, which way are you voting, yes or no? <laughs> Mm, yes, <laughs> definitely yes, like everybody else. <laughs> Thank you all. We'll um, we'll be back next week. Our gear is from Road, and we are part of the Iconoclast Network. See ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.